Good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Hills. Um, I'm on the leadership team here. Been around for, you know, donkey's years. And uh, one of my pet hates is the month of February. <laughs> so who's pleased that February's nearly over? Yes! Lots of us. Thank you. So uh, as you've already heard, if you're uh, visiting us this morning or if you weren't here last week, we uh, began a new series um, last week, just looking at different dimensions of our relationship with God, actually following a a call we sense from the Lord to reprioritize our intimacy with him. I don't know how you feel about that word. Uh, Andrew spoke about it really amazingly uh, on about, I think it was about February the 4th, about a month ago. So if you didn't hear his talk, I'd love to encourage you to catch up with that. Maybe it's a strange word to use in a church context. But actually, if you think of the word intimacy, you know, I think it just means close. That's what it means, doesn't it? A close connection. And Jesus has invited into us into a close connection, a close walk, a close relationship with the Father. He wasn't beaten before he died. He didn't hang on a cross. He didn't surrender to the horrific torture of crucifixion just to invite us into some kind of cold, half-hearted, maybe today, maybe not today, mm, don't know if I feel like it, kind of relationship with him. He wants us to walk closely with him in a close connection where we know his love. And so we're just looking at different dimensions of that relationship and what those dimensions that the Bible highlights to us can teach us about what this relationship looks like. And I know lots of us know, you know, much of it is familiar, but I don't know about you, I need reminding about stuff all the time. Last week we were looking at the father-daughter, father-son relationship, and uh, the other four things that we're going to look at, you've heard today, we're looking at being a sheep. They're all subsets, almost, of being a father-daughter. It's not one day I might be a daughter and another day I might be a sheep. (laughs) It's that that looking at the metaphor of being a sheep, uh, as we're going to today, helps me sort of understand a bit more clearly one dimension of my relationship as a daughter. Does that make sense? So that's what these subsequent weeks are looking at. So uh, let me remind you, as we uh, dig in today, again, if we need to hear it again, the Christian faith is not an ideology. It's not a set of beliefs. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with a living, breathing God who is here with us now in this moment. How is your relationship going? So, as you've heard, today we've got the joy of getting our heads around the fact that we are sheep. It's what the Bible calls us regularly. I was going to say, hold on a minute, (laughs) you can leave it up there. Take a look at the person next to you, and this is what they look like from heaven's perspective. (laughs) I did actually find one really, I'm sure there are some sheep lovers in here. I just thought I needed to show you this, because one or two of you look like this. Can we have the next picture? (laughs) I'm convinced that there are times when the Lord looks at me, that's how he sees me. (laughs) And I think maybe as Jesus looks out on his church this morning, this is what he sees. So I don't know which one you would be in that flock, but essentially, metaphorically, as Tim said, we are sheep. That is one sort of way of picturing and describing who we are. Now, as far as I can see, nobody ever wants to be a sheep. I have four children. None of them ever came home going, I want to be the sheep in the nativity play. You know, nobody wants to be a sheep. The sheep get a bad press. I came, a motivation, I came across a motivational article a while ago that said, um, it encouraged its, its readers to be sheep dogs, not sheep. 
because who wants to be a sheep? And actually, I came across a quote by Alexander uh, the Great a while ago who said this. He said, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep, but I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. I mean, that is not good news. He's literally epitomising, isn't he, what we all think about sheep. Think of an impressive animal. You know, you'll all have your favourites, a lion because of its roar, or, you know, a cheetah because of its running power, or a butterfly because of its fragility and beauty. I don't know. Shark. I don't know what your favourite animal would be, or what an impressive, if, we were asking, if I was asking about impressive animals. But I'm pretty willing to bet if I, you don't associate the word sheep with impressive you know, it's not what we do, is it? And, and so I sort of found myself thinking, well, I wonder, why did you choose this metaphor, sheep, Jesus? You know, why? And it's certainly not because of their strength, because sheep are, you know, they're not strong animals. They run in fear from anything and anyone that is around them. Uh, they're totally unable to defend themselves, and therefore they are vulnerable, as you will probably know, to all kinds of prey. They are not, Jesus won't have chosen because they're of their intelligence, because sheep are renowned, as we know, for their stupidity. I mean, I hope you know that. I hope that's not news to you. But they are renowned for their stupidity. Get this. In 2005, in Turkey, one sheep jumped off a cliff. And who knows why? But then another 50, this is a true story. You can Google it. Another 1,500 jumped off the cliff after that sheep. And the next 400 died, and then there was enough of a cushion for the remaining 1,100 not to die. (laughs) They are really not intelligent creatures. Actually, I was in the Forest of Dean yesterday speaking at a women's uh, conference there. And as I was driving along the road in the morning, suddenly there were two or three sheep walking along the pavement. And so I literally, I had to really slow down because I know that sheep are really stupid and they're likely to jump out into the middle of the road. They have no sense of direction. That's another thing about sheep. And they're very timid. You know, you walk in a field of sheep, they're not like cows, they're not going to come and charge at you. They run away, as you probably know. Here's the thing about sheep. I know we know it, but it's worth saying again. The thing about sheep, unlike virtually every other animal, is that they need a shepherd to survive. They are totally dependent on a shepherd for their survival and for their ability to thrive. They do not last long on their own. They're either snacks on wheels if they're left to their own devices or, you know, cushions that fly through the air until they land, you know, off a cliff. But they don't survive well, well, they don't survive without a shepherd to look after them. And Jesus says that you and I are sheep. He's not trying to insult us. He's being realistic about who we are with our fragile human condition and what we need. So you may, what that means, just in case you need it reiterating, is you may run a really successful company. You might have amazing emotional intelligence. You might live in a massive house because you've got a great bank account. You might have a whole pile of accomplishments to your name. You might have tons of followers on uh, Facebook. You might get millions of likes on uh, Instagram because you've got an amazing platform. You might think that you can do a good job of running your life or your family or you know, maybe running other people's lives and their families. But God says you're a sheep. He doesn't invalidate that stuff, but he says this is the reality about who you are. You are my sheep. You and I, friends, we need a shepherd. 
We need a shepherd we can rely on. We need a shepherd who can rescue us. We need a shepherd who can guide, for, guide us. We need a shepherd who can provide for us. We need a shepherd who can protect us. We need a shepherd who will correct us. And yes, shepherds correct their sheep. You know, when sheep are really going off course, a shepherd will break the leg of its sheep to prevent it. I mean, clearly the guy in Turkey hadn't done a great job because the sheep was still capable. But generally, that's what shepherds do in the Middle East to prevent their sheep going too far off course. And I don't know how you feel about this metaphor. It's certainly not meant to, um, you know, stroke our egos. And maybe you would love to, you know, be a lion. You know, you see yourself as a lion, you know, strolling about on the plains, you know, independence and all of that. I personally find this such a relief. I find it such a relief that actually I am God's sheep. Because what that means for me is that I don't have to be in control to be safe. I don't have to know the way to know how to get to where God wants to lead me, how to fulfill his purposes for me. I don't have to be successful to be valuable. I don't have to know how to fix everything for things to get fixed in my life. Because I'm the sheep and he's the shepherd. And I wonder to what extent this morning our lives reflect this beautiful picture of the relationship between a, she- a, a dependent sheep and a good shepherd. I love how David puts it. This is my paraphrase of uh, Psalm 23. David says this, the Lord is my shepherd, so I'll be fine. I mean, that isn't his literal phraseology. <laughs> it's basically, I have, all my, I have all I need. I will not be in want or whatever. Your, your sort of learnt translation of it. But he's basically saying, the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd. So he knows him. He knows him as a shepherd. He's had experience of him as a shepherd. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, so I will be fine. That's the good news of the kingdom. I wonder if that would be how you would describe your relationship with Jesus. He's my shepherd, I'm the sheep, so I'll be fine. So there's so much we could unpack about this. This morning, what we're going to drill down to for the time that we've uh, drilled down into for the time we've got remaining is what Jesus has to say about sheep, because he picks up the Old Testament metaphor uh, that is used frequently. And uh, we've heard bits about it this morning. It's in John chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, you might want to dig it out. We're just going to read a few verses from chapter 10. They're going to come up on the screen. Always good to follow along if you've got your own Bible. These are his words. Verses 2 to 4 and then verses 14 to 15. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Don't you love that? I know my sheep. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. Some of us have got more than others. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I mean, wow, that's the standard. The relationship that Jesus had with the father, that's the relationship that Jesus is after with us. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
The point he's making, it's obvious, isn't it? Sheep don't have many skills. Sheep don't have many skills, but one of the things that sheep have is the ability to hear the shepherd's voice. And he is making that statement as an outright declaration. My sheep hear my voice. Which means that every single one of us in here, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have decided to follow him, and you're on this journey of learning to trust him, what it means is you can hear his voice. And that's all you need. Middle Eastern shepherds, the way they lead their their sheep, I'm sure you know, is by speaking. They don't cajole them. They don't whip them like they, you know, whip herds from behind. They don't chase them with sheepdogs. They walk ahead of them and they lead them with their voice. Because otherwise the sheep aren't going to find green pasture. They're not going to find food. They're not going to find water. They're not going to lie down and rest when they need to rest. Whatever. So a question this morning. Do you expect to hear God's voice regularly? Do you expect it to hear it regularly? Do you hear it regularly? When did you last hear the voice of your shepherd speaking to you? Because Jesus is telling people, like I've just said, he's telling the people that are listening, which includes the Pharisees, that what marks out those of us, those people that follow him, is not great behavior. Sheep don't always stay in line. (laughs) We've heard that before. It's not great behavior. It's not knowing all the rules. It's whether they hear his voice or not. That's what marks out. That's what he's saying here. That's what marks out those who follow him. My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Why is that important? Because it enables us to stay close to him. Remember, we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about a close relationship with the Lord. We're talking about walking in a day-by-day way with the God who loves us and gave himself up for us. And if Jesus is saying that my sheep hear my voice, implicit in that is the fact that they recognize his voice. Now, I don't know about you, but the only voices I recognize, you know, when I hear them and I can't see those people, are the people that I know well. I've heard their voice over and over again. So he's not talking about, oh, you might hear my voice two or three times in your life at really critical moments or when you've got a massive decision to make. He's saying his sheep recognize his voice, which means if you're going to recognize someone's voice, we have to hear it often enough. So let's just remember, he's not saying my sheep might hear my voice. He's not saying, well, you you could hear my voice if you try really hard or whatever else. My sheep do hear my voice. And yet, friends, why do we need to be reminded of this? Because the enemy works very hard to persuade us that we don't hear God's voice. Or that we can't hear God's voice. Or we don't know how to hear God's voice. Or that God doesn't speak at all. You know, sadly, there are some, you know, there are some believers that believe that. Or maybe if it's that God does speak, that he doesn't speak to me. But given that hearing God's voice is critical to our walk with him and our connection with him, isn't it surpri- it's not surprising, is it, that the enemy would try and interfere with, in whatever way possible, our ability to hear the loving voice of our shepherd. We don't need anything to hear it. We don't need academic degrees. We don't need to have had to read the whole Bible. We don't need to have you know, done loads of theology. Speaking, hearing God's voice is not for those who are specially gifted or you know, something that you qualify for if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. 
It's not for people, you know, just for people hearing God's voice who've got platforms or microphones. There are plenty of people who stand on platforms and don't hear God's voice. It's for sheep. And it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. You know, if you've given your heart to him, it's like he's put a Wi-Fi router. (laughs) That's what the Holy Spirit's like when he comes to live in us. It's a bit like sticking a Wi-Fi router in your home so you can connect with heaven. If we've got the Holy Spirit within us, he enables us to hear the voice of God. My daughter, um, <clears throat> she was about, I hope, you know, by the way, parents, I hope we're training our children to listen to the voice of God. I hope we're teaching our children to recognize the voice of God. Uh, when, when we used to li- uh, live over the other side of Cheltenham at Cheltenham College, where Tim was a teacher, and then he got ordained and began working here. And so for us, it was a big family move. We had to pull all of our kids out of the college because we had amazing teacher discounted rates, didn't know where they were all going to go to school. And uh, Becca was 10, so she did uh, the um, exam for Pates. And it was quite a traumatic move for the kids. They didn't really want to leave this amazing school. And uh, one night she had a dream and she woke up the next morning and she said to me mommy I've had a dream and uh, the only girl so there were a number of kids from um, Cheltenham College that had sat the Pates test she was in the third quartile bless her of her year group at the time she said mommy I've had a dream and the only the only girl that passed the test for Pates was me and I sat there thinking yeah I'm so cynical at times (laughs) lord forgive me I sat there thinking oh bless you (laughs) bless you oh you obviously you know really wanted to go or whatever well turns out she was the only one who passed the test out of the girls and the lord was speaking to her age 10 preparing her for what was coming next in her dream she heard the voice of god in her dream you know our children hear the voice of god if we teach them and train them if they if they you know wanting to have a relationship with him because that it doesn't matter how old you are as a sheep it's the birthright friends of any child of god it is your birthright if you're walking with him to hear the voice of god and like i said when jesus puts his holy spirit within us he The Holy Spirit is who enables us to hear him. This is John 16, verse 13. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he's... I don't know if you can put that verse up, Jonathan. He He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. So, back to this. There it is. Brilliant. We hear his voice, we recognize it, and we respond to it. And like I said, this is key, friends. If we're going to have a close walk with God, this is key. As daughters, you know, sons, what we were talking about last week, we cannot have a close walk with him if we don't hear his voice, because it is how Jesus will lead us through this life. He doesn't steer us through this life by our circumstances. He leads us as a shepherd. He leads us by speaking to us. I bet none of you have a close relationship with somebody that you don't talk to and listen to. It's just not possible, is it? And he speaks in the daytime and he speaks in the nighttime, like I just said. There are times when I'm, you know, trying to go to, well, I'm not trying to go to sleep. Tim is trying to go to sleep at night and uh, I haven't finished talking. (laughs) So I tell him, I'm made in God's image. (laughs) I've got more to say. (laughs) God speaks to us at night. Samuel 
was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was one of the greatest prophets in Israel. But when he began hearing the voice of God, when did God start speaking to him? When he was lying in his bed. I think there's something special, actually, at times when we're going to sleep or very early in the morning, when, we're, when our spirits are still, that enable us to hear God's voice. How do we know what God's voice sounds like? You know, massive question. How do we know? Well, I want to remind us that we're on a journey of learning to recognize his voice. When I first became a Christian, I used to think, well, if God spoke, the earth would shake. You know, that there'd be a red flag attached to what God was saying. So I would know it was God because how could God speak and I wouldn't recognize his voice? I wouldn't listen to him. I wouldn't know it was him. But back to that story about Eli, uh, Samuel, in, uh, beginning at the beginning of 1 Samuel, when he was a boy, he thought God's voice sounded like somebody else's voice. He thought, and this was the guy who went on to be the greatest prophet, he thought he was listening to another voice, which encourages me that none of us can recognize God's voice regularly without learning what his voice sounds like. But there are, there are things we can know from the Bible that help us. Firstly, God's voice sounds like a small whisper most of the time. You know, Elijah, great prophet. He, was, he, he had, a, had an encounter with the Lord, a powerful encounter with the Lord. And, and the way God spoke to him was through a quiet whisper. And for most of us, most of the time, God's voice comes like a whisper, which is why it's so easy not to notice it. So little exercise, just, you know, 30-second exercise. I want you to picture in your minds the McDonald's sign. Okay? Not difficult. Now I want you to picture what you had for supper on Monday night. That's a bit harder, isn't it? And you can find yourself going into rummage mode, searching through your, your rational faculties to find out and in order to be able to picture what you had for supper on Monday night. When God speaks to us, it's like something that literally lands in a moment in our spirits. But he uses our own voices, our own imaginations, our own whatever. And so we need to be paying attention, friends, to the little small things that pop up in our thoughts, that drop into our minds, that come into our heads when we're praying in particular, because often that is how God speaks to us. Some of you know this. Uh, one of the first times I heard God speak to me really clearly was just after I'd become a Christian. I'd been praying about whether the guy that I was going out with, uh, God wanted me to carry on going out with him. And I was talking to God as I was walking down a street at midnight. And I was saying to the Lord, why haven't you shown me? You haven't answered my prayer. What do you want me to do about this? And then suddenly, literally, landed in my spirit. It's the only way I can describe it. This thought that could have been mine, except that it wasn't there 30 seconds before. And this voice said, he's not for you. And I knew in that moment that God had spoken to me. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to hear his voice. But we need to be paying attention to those things that drop into our spirits, that pop into our minds, that come into our heads, particularly when we're talking to God, particularly when we're praying. And the more we listen, the more we pay attention, the more we practice, the more likely we are to learn to recognize, oh, that's God, because we then act on this stuff and we discover as, as we act and as God is therefore either able to work or not, whether we've heard him. How do we know it's God's voice? Well, it certainly won't contradict scripture. It's one of the reasons we need to read the Bible, friends, because God will never contradict what is written in his word. Now, there are all kinds of things that are written in his word, but then there's all the kinds of things, you know, like what I heard him say, this guy's not for you. Well, that's not in his word. 
but it won't contradict his nature. I once had a really random conversation with somebody who was in a, in a group here, and she came up to me and she told me that God had told her to start selling her husband's possessions. <laughs> it made me like, I said, me too. <laughs> I've got a good price for some of it. No, I didn't say that. Friends, there was no way that was God speaking to her. Because we hear all kinds of other voices as well. We need to learn to recognize the voice of God. And one of the ways that we can recognize it is whether we know the heart of God and the nature of God through what we read in the Bible. Another way we can recognize the voice of God is, through, is because the, way, the things that he drops into our head, the things that he says to us, the, the way he speaks to us, it is rarely the kind of stuff that we would think. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our, our ways. So when you hear a voice, when you hear his voice saying, Rebecca, I love you, you know, it's unlikely to be you saying that to you. It's unlikely to be your thought. When I hear God's voice saying, Hills, I'm with you in this moment, that's not my kind of natural thinking. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not my ways. So again, paying attention to the things that drop in when I'm asking God to speak to me that are different to the kind of things that I would normally think. And God's voice always brings peace. When he speaks, it always releases peace, even when what he's asking us to do is difficult. There's a peace that comes to his children when he speaks, always. Even when he's correcting me, even when he's challenging me, even when he's asking me to step out in a way that I think, I don't know if I can do that. His voice always brings peace. So I just want to end by identifying four things that help us, that help position us to listen to his voice. Because Jesus talks about sheep listening. And listening is different to hearing, isn't it? Listening, there's an intentionality about it. There's a focused deliberation of, of listening actively for what God is saying. It's not a kind of random thing, I'm tottering along and, oh, God speaks and I just happen to notice it. It's an, act, it's an action so four things that help us to hear his voice, to make sure that we're listening. The first one is literally positioning ourselves. That's the intentional bit of it, isn't it? Positioning ourselves. Am I opening my Bible? I know it's a really obvious thing to say, but the main way God speaks to us is through his word. He loves his word. Now we can read his word and not hear his voice. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you diligently study the scriptures. You know about what's in here, but you refuse to come to me to have life. It's perfectly possible to read the Bible from cover to cover and never hear the voice of God. Let's just be clear about that. We need the Holy Spirit to take what's written that we're reading and breathe his life on it. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. And when God is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit breathes on God's word. And it's like he lifts it off the pages and plants it in my heart. And something happens in me and I think, oh God, I think you're speaking. But the main way he speaks to us is through his word. So if I'm not positioning myself in his word, I'm less likely to hear him speak. End of. And if I can't be bothered to read it, read his word and get to know his heart and his word. He's not going to keep speaking to me in all the ways he wants to using different means. He's so gracious and he's so kind. He will do that, especially when I'm in desperate need because I'm a sheep and I wander off. But all the extra stuff he wants to speak to me, he's not going to say that stuff if I'm not in his word. 
One of the reasons why I've written a devotional is so often, particularly at really big moments in my life, I've opened my devotional, which has led me to a particular Bible passage on a, Bible, on, on a particular day, and God has told me ahead of time what is going to happen that day. I'm so grateful to him for that. He loves me. I'm his sheep, and he wants to speak to me. And he's done it so many times in my daily devotions. Positioning ourselves in his word. And friends, remembering that actually it's stillness that enables me to listen. And it doesn't mean hours of stillness, but if you drop a stone into a pond and the water is all, you know, whatever, ruffled. That's not the right word for it. But, you know, when you drop a stone into a pond and the water is still, that's when you notice the ripples, isn't it? And if he speaks in a still, small voice, we have to have moments of listening. Do you spend five minutes a day just being totally still and saying, okay, God, speak to me. Speak to me. What do you want to say to me today? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? You know, as you're there with your Bible and you close your eyes and you just have five minutes to listen. Is he encouraging you? Is he comforting you? Is he directing you? Is he putting courage into you? Is he asking you to let go of something? Is he showing you something new about yourself? And friends, let's remember that we're to test everything. However it is that God speaks to us, we're to test it. We're to test it. That's what the Bible says, test it. I don't know that we're very good at that. I think we kind of feel like if someone has a prophetic word for me, we're not talking about prophecy this morning, that's a gift for other people. If somebody has a prophetic word for me, or if I think God said this, it must be God. We're called to test it. But positioning ourselves to hear God speak. Secondly, we need expectation. How are we clear on this? The Bible makes a huge connection all the time between our expectation of God and what we see God do. Our expectation of him and what we receive from him. Ephesians, um, Hebrews 11.6. It is impos- it's impossible to please God without faith. And we need to believe that he rewards. I mean, this is an interesting bit. We don't talk much about it. Believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Friends, we need to have an expectation that God will speak. Do you, that's why I asked you, do you have an expectation that God wants to speak to you? You know, not just on a Sunday in church, but when you get up on Monday morning, Monday lunchtime, whenever, as you're driving to work, do you have an expectation that God will speak? And I just want to say this. I think one of the verses in the Bible that inspires the fear of God in me, and it's, it's written twice in Hebrews 3, is God's command, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. That's a New Testament warning from the writer of the Hebrews. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Which means even as a sheep, my heart can go hard to his word. And it's things like cynicism. It's things like disappointment. It's things like bitterness that lead to a hardening of my heart that then makes it really hard for me to hear his voice. And we need to steward the soil in our hearts. That parable of the four soils, we're looking at it in Greenhouse this week. You know, it's soft soil that hears the word and the word is, you know, actually then fulfills its purpose and I'm either encouraged or I'm directed or I'm strengthened or I'm corrected or whatever it is. Expectation. Third thing. Inquisition. There's a beautiful uh, repetitive phrase in the Old Testament that talks about David inquiring of the Lord. How much do we inquire of the Lord? I hear more from people I chat to when I'm hanging out with them, when I ask them questions, than when I'm just permanently on transmit. 
you know, I, when I invite them to speak through my questions or I want to discover more about who they are or what they've been doing or what they want to say, I ask questions. So do you. And we're invited to ask questions of God. God, who do you want me to pray for? Suddenly a, 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 a name pops into your head. That's God speaking to you. Lord, what do you want to say to me in this moment? Many of you know that my father, um, he died about six weeks ago and he was staying with us over Christmas and um, on, uh, the, we were all together on Christmas uh, Day evening and uh, I just happened to notice that something didn't feel quite right about his breathing and this sort of concern wouldn't go away. And uh, I, I went into our kitchen, the rest of the family were in the lounge, I went into our kitchen, I sat in our kitchen for five minutes and I sat on a chair in the kitchen and I just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do I do? What do I do? Because I just felt something was wrong. And I asked that question over and over again and I just sat there and then suddenly I just heard this voice. God's voice saying, make the call. And I knew he was saying to me to call 11. And then the next thing he said to me was, he's going into hospital and he won't come out. And in the end, that's what happened to my father. You know, it wasn't obvious when he went in that he was going in with something terminal, but that's what happened to him. Why did God say that to me? Because I'm his sheep and he loves me. And he's so kind. He just wanted to prepare me for what was coming in the next two weeks. And it wouldn't have changed you know, the outcome wouldn't have changed if he hadn't told me that. But he wants to walk with us closely. He wants to prepare us for things. He wants to comfort us with his word. He wants to strengthen us in ways that only he can. But much of what we might hear from God comes in response to asking questions, of inquiring of him, inquisition. And then lastly, like I've said, we need to be committed to this journey of recognition, getting better at recognizing his voice. Back to Samuel, he had an Eli in his life. He had an Eli that could help him recognize God's voice. And I think we can end up thinking, well, if I'm a sheep, I must recognize his voice and I need to do it on my own. Well, we need the Bible to help us. I've already said that. But I think we need Eli's in our life that we can test God's word again. I think God might be saying this to me. What do you think? People who are maybe, you know, have got a track record of hearing the voice of God. You know, maybe some of us need to be Eli's to other people. But one of the ways we grow in our recognition and our learning of God is by having Eli's around us. Jesus is so kind and he's so good as our shepherd that he will lead us and he will guide us and he will provide and he will protect us with all the essentials in life because he's promised to do that. But there is so much more. There is so much more that comes through walking closely and intimately with him. And friends, so much of that hinges on the extent to which we listen to and recognize his voice in order to respond to it. And I just believe that he's wanting to, to, to call us to a greater determination to become more familiar, more curious to hear his voice. And we will be blessed by that and so will those around us.